umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and this is by the numbers well clint we have another matchup with florida ahead of us in the peach bowl what do you think about that well i think it's always a, a an interesting challenge to match up with the SEC. We know that uh, beating SEC teams is is important, obviously, uh, in recruiting. We've done better in the Southeast uh, recently because of some success against the Southeastern Conference, so that's good. But, you know, that's uh, that's really the silver lining. I know we're all a little bit disappointed that it's another matchup with Florida. And even as much as it's a repeat for us, I would have much rather seen uh, Florida play UCF in Michigan play really anybody else, LSU or, or even Georgia from, from the SEC if possible. But, uh, you know, it is what it is and it's a, it's a challenge that's on the table. And I think we need to, uh, I, I don't agree with the folks that are saying that it's, it doesn't matter in, in any sense because I still think it's a very big deal both for the 2018 team and for, uh, recruiting in general. Well, Clint, I have to give you credit because you made some generalizations as this season was going on to past seasons. Do, do you want to touch on that again before we talk about the matchup with Florida? Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed um, early on, especially after uh, seeing the schedule and, and, and kind of the outlay and did the preview before the first week that, man, the schedule, as challenging as it was, set up a lot the same as the uh, 2015 season with uh, Harbaugh's first season with Rudock as the transfer quarterback with the parallel obviously being uh, Shea Patterson as a transfer quarterback so just on the surface that that seemed that way and and week one was a road game against a solid team a a seven-point loss and then you know three kind of uh, you know lesser opponents to kind of build some steam opening the Big Ten season against you know, some, some middle ground challengers, the Northwestern struggles lined up with the, uh, trouble with the snap against, uh, Michigan State from 15. So, um, there were, there were a lot of parallels, uh, including the, the, the disappointment, um, at the end of the season against the Buckeyes. So, uh, hopefully this, uh, the final, the final cherry on top now is to match up with, uh, with Florida in the bowl game and, Let's hope that the parallels continue um, since uh, Michigan played so well uh, that year and, and really overwhelmed uh, a Florida team that, that really didn't look like they could score against uh, a solid Michigan defense. So how do you feel about the matchup this year? It seems a little bit more balanced, uh, especially I'm especially interested in the side of uh, – when Michigan's offense is on the field. Um, S&P right now has uh, Florida 14th overall with the 26th ranked defense. Michigan is number five in the S&P uh, with the 24th ranked offense. So I think that balance, uh, it, it's going to be important for Michigan to to win that um, that particular matchup. The, it seems uh, Michigan's fifth ranked defense has a pretty big uh, advantage over Florida's 27th ranked offense, but I think it's going to look a lot. Uh, we're going to see a lot from Florida 
that um, that we saw, you know, instantly successful in, in the Ohio State game. They're going to run a lot of those mesh routes, uh, crossing routes across the middle, mess with the man coverage, um, especially with, uh, you know, no Rashawn Gary, no Devin Bush. Um, I would expect that it's going to be a little bit tougher for Michigan to get a uh, – a pass rush. Um, so the, the challenge is real for that defense. Um, but I, I really think that the, the game will be decided by Michigan's offense and, and whether they can be successful, uh, without Karan Higdon. I'm a big fan of Rashawn Gary, but Michigan played without him for much of the season. The big loss that I think that the team's going to have trouble overcoming is Devin Bush. And I'm not surprised uh, that that he's decided to opt out. Uh, we know that he was hurt in the in the last game, and um, even if he had decided not to go to the directly to the NFL, it seems like he may not have been able to play. But I think that loss is going to be crucial. Um, I think watching him as a player over the last couple of seasons, his speed and his anticipation has just been incredible. So I, I think that's the. That's the thing that really stands out to me when I'm looking at the, the matchup for this game is how Michigan is going to be able to, to fill that, that gap. Um, and, again, I am worried about what's going to happen at running back. Um, I really think, you know, when they were giving out the team awards, Karan Higdon uh, didn't get any of the awards. And I really I was really surprised, I think, that when we're looking at uh, why the offense has been successful this year, more successful this year, I think, in past years. It was the success that we were having running the ball and specifically um, the way he could keep pounding and eventually break through. So I think the the loss of Devin Bush and Karan Higdon are, are going to be, uh, you know, give opportunities to the next man up, but definitely going to be uh, crucial to see. Um, I think you make a great point that Ohio State is, has given a template for other teams to try to emulate in attacking the defense. So I'm interested to see if if Ohio State was successful because of the amount of talent and preparation, or was it that they find the co- they found the combination that that uh, any good team can emulate? So I'm looking forward to see how that matchup plays out. Yeah, yep, I agree. And it, it, the another interesting thing is that uh, Florida's offense really sets up very similarly um, in terms of run pass balance to to Michigan's. Um, they've got two running backs that they like. They they basically have a one A and a one B, uh, both junior running backs that they'll uh, they'll split carries, um, and Michigan's going to have to find uh, the, you know to replace the bell cow for, at least for this game um, to replace Higdon. And, and I personally I think it's a little bit uh, of a misuse of Chris Evans running in between the tackles. Um, I I would like to. I would hope that what we see is uh, True Wilson probably increases carries in between the tackles on the inside zones, the power stuff, the split zone uh, runs, and and get Chris Evans out on the edge, um, and maybe involved in in some some short passes as a supplement to the run game. So hopefully that's that's if it was me, that's how I would try to to adapt to Karan Higdon choosing to, to sit out. Um, but, but we'll see. Uh, I also don't think that it's a, 
a bad idea to really try to, to spread the field out with the uh, the receivers that Michigan has. I, I don't think um, I don't think that Florida can can match up uh, man for man uh, with the the receiving weapons that Michigan has, especially with uh, Tariq Black coming all the way back to 100% healthy. So. It, it'll be interesting. Uh, I hope that we see some some variation, some uh, you know, some some adaptation from Harbaugh on the offensive side. Um, but if not, if if we tend to kind of stay in the same mold that we've been in all year, and you know, pretty close to sixty percent pass or sixty percent run and forty percent pass, if that's what it is, then I hope uh, I hope we figure out how to better utilize the running backs that we've got and uh, and really push the ball down the field off of play action. Another interesting tie to Florida as we're talking about how strong Michigan is at the wide receiver position heading into this game is that, of course, Michigan's wide receiver coach this season was Jim McElwain. And, of course, he was hired uh, after Michigan put a thumping on Florida last year, brought him in, and I, I think he's – he did a really nice job with the wide receivers. You know, you can see, um, you know, usually when you have somebody who's a head coach, they started at a position, and they were really good at, at different areas. It was interesting to see him kind of cycle back from being a head coach and really focus on just coaching one position group, and, and I think he made a he made a really big difference. Now, of course, he's gone on. He's the new head coach at Central Michigan, so... Uh, Michigan again is is retooling. Uh, you know, going to see r- what Roy Rontree can do. But again, I, I think that it is. You know, when we're talking about Michigan matching up against Florida, it's interesting that that you know we had a former Florida head coach on our coaching staff for for another interesting combination. Um, you know, one thing that I wonder, Clint, is with Karan Higdon gone, I'm wondering if we're going to see a more balanced attack. Uh, and I would I would like to see that. Um, I, I you know I, I wonder if it'll be ne- necessitated by Karan Higgin not being in. But I think I would I would have liked to have seen the offense open up a little bit more. And it'll be interesting if this is going to be a test drive of a of a more balanced attack. Yeah, to to do that, like I said, they ended the season right around sixty forty. Um, to the run, so that that means that's a significant shift to try to pull, um, you know, ten percent of your offense out of the run game and put it into the pass game. So uh, I agree with you that I, I would like to see fifty-fifty, um, but it's kind of arbitrary for us to say we want to see more passing, um, you know, because the, the two games that they passed more than they ran were the two games that they lost. So um, you know the. I want to see him win, obviously, more than anything, uh, and and then maybe use the off season to to change the the or tweak the philosophy a little bit and and utilize the passing game uh, closer to half the time. Um, however, if if there's there's plenty of time in a bowl season, bowl preparation season, to to make the adjustments needed um, and and create a game plan that that utilizes that. They, Michigan did pass the ball. Uh, in on first down and standard downs, uh, pretty at a regular rate enough that that I think that it was an effective changeup. Uh, but uh, they they tended to run the ball back to back, um, 
on, on second down and then on third down uh, as they kind of were focused on the efficiency metric in S&P. So um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, even a drive, a, a scripted drive early in the game that comes out and, and keeps the defense on their heels maybe by uh, changing the tempo a little bit and, and throwing the ball two, three, four times in a row, uh, whether it's it's short stuff or, or the quick screens on the outside, whatever it is that they choose to do. But I, I'd like to see them string a few passes together instead of um, immediately following a pass with, with one or two runs to kind of reestablish that. So that's that's what I'm looking for. It'll be kind of slight variation that I'll be trying to focus on and see uh, – try to measure the effectiveness of whatever differences we can pick up from the, uh, the season uh, patterns that, that they established in 12 regular season games. So, Clint, kind of switching gears here, it came out that Don Brown actually interviewed for the head coaching position at Temple. Were you surprised by that? No, because it happened in 2015. You know, Durbin interviewed with Maryland and then laid an egg against Ohio State. So, uh, Don Brown, uh, possibly could have been, you know, divided into or divided, uh, focus going into that game. And, uh, it's not surprising to me. That's, uh, you know, that's what happens when, when you're constantly, uh, involved in the conversation of being the best, um, assistant coach or a coordinator in the country, which I think Don Brown is. Um, and it's, it's a little bit out of, it's a little bit out of my range, I guess, to say that, that it had an effect on the preparation for the Ohio state game. But, um, there are two very parallel situations with two very similar results where the defensive coordinator was, uh, interviewing for a head coaching job coming down the home stretch at the end of the season. And, uh, I, I think that they're related. I think that there's some – that correlation probably uh, is not just a coincidence. So um, I'm not shocked. You know, good coaches are going to get uh, get those phone calls. Harbaugh has is, is always um, been a clear supporter of, of guys that he's been loyal to, um, guys that have been his assistants. He's, he's helped them, uh, you know, move up in the ranks if that's what they wanted. Um, I, I can't imagine it's it's not good for um, it's not it's not a good look for for the head of an organization to try to keep your people down in in order to keep them you you want to uh, you want to keep them moving uh, positively through their career path if that's what they choose to do and 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 then go find somebody else that uh that is also moving uh, up the ranks you know that's DJ Durkin did a good job in 2015, and when he left, we actually upgraded, in my opinion, to, to Don Brown. So um, I, I think Harbaugh has the right mentality when it comes to these things. Um, with all of that said, I'm, I'm very thankful that Brown decided to stay here or whether Temple decided to take uh, um, the coach from Miami over Brown, and it wasn't really Brown's choice. That's fine. You know, either way that that went, I think Michigan wins because Don Brown is a heck of a defensive coach. Um, I I hope that next season, um, 
he's haunted by that Ohio State game in 2019 the way that he was haunted by the Penn State game in 2018. So if that's the case and, and he can uh, continue to adapt his approach to uh, to get rid of those chinks in the armor that we that were laid bare uh, in Columbus, then uh, I think that's a good thing for Michigan and uh, it'll be a good thing for our season next year. It is nice to see that you mentioned Durkin before that Michigan's coaches are, I guess, in play for other jobs. I think it shows that Harbaugh has assembled a good staff. And I think that's the reason, you know, even that the rumors keep swirling about Harbaugh is that he is considered a great coach. You are going to see NFL teams go after him. I wouldn't even be surprised if some other college teams, you know, make a play for him. Um, you know, he's been remarkably consistent in saying that, you know, he's here at Michigan and, and, and when we know how recruiting works, that people are going to use those rumors to try to peel away recruits. But I guess the same way that Don Brown is, is being recruited and, and, uh, being looked at as a potential upgrade for some programs, you know, we're going to see that in, in the case of Harbaugh as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And as far as the, the coaching rumors, it's it's awfully dubious that it makes national news coming from a guy like Chris Carter, uh, uh, an Ohio State legend, floats it out there with uh, unnamed sources. And um, there was a big recruiting flip that happened a pretty short term after that. Where one of the, where Michigan's top recruit for the 19 class uh, flipped to Alabama in the in the immediate aftermath, and then um, luckily it seemed Harbaugh was able to kind of straighten all of that out with that recruit, his family, and, and um, that safety Daxton Hill came back into the fold and signed on the, uh, the early signing the early signing period this week. So that that was uh, that was great news, but it's it's something that's going to constantly come up. Uh, to your point, because uh, Harbaugh is a quality coach. Um, I hope going forward um, we, we have a better plan to uh, preemptively handle those issues um, because it it's it was surprising to see how effective it could be for somebody like Chris Carter to put it out there into the national media, generate some headlines. Um, I'm sure that there were a handful of coaches that were waiting for that news to hit the headlines so that they could make some phone calls and, and to see how quickly that was effective right away. I think uh, strategically Michigan's going to have to combat that and not just roll their eyes and be annoyed by the Harbaugh rumors. I think they're going to have to try to be a little bit more preemptive in how they handle that. You know, it's interesting to, to see Harbaugh, you know, how he deals with this question because it comes up regularly and whenever it comes up, he's annoyed. And I don't know, you know, on one hand, he says, listen, you know, I, I you know, like in this latest case, he, he went on ESPN, kind of one of the biggest platforms and, and let it be known that he was not going anywhere. And then uh, this very same day, um, you know, people in the media at a press conference asked him about it. And he's like, listen, I already addressed this. So on one hand, Yes, he addressed it, but in trying to dismiss it, it, it makes it its own story. You know, it, it keeps it going. And I, again, I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I mean, are you more proactive in, in uh, you know, uh, coming out and, you know, it, 
he he doesn't enjoy or doesn't like talking to the media about some things. And this is one thing he he is genuinely annoyed by. I mean, I remember uh, at the last bowl game, the very first question was about rumors that he was going to go to the NFL. And he physically hates the question. I mean, you can see him just just kind of clench up and get really aggravated. And uh, it's interesting because at the Peach Bowl press conference this year, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, he's sitting there as, as the as the press conference is going on, just looking annoyed as all get out. And, I, you know, I don't know what was on his mind, but I can guess it was the anticipation of being questioned about his rumors. And, uh, you know, he was he definitely snapped back. So, again, uh, I think it's going to continue to happen. And I agree with you. They're going to have to come up with some kind of media strategy or some kind of tactic to uh, to to kick back. Because, again, it's an easy rumor to start. You know, again, uh, you know, he's a good coach. He's had success in the NFL and the rumors aren't going to go away. And, and it it seems like a very easy thing to start if you're trying to. Uh, if someone is trying to potentially poison the recruitment of an athlete, you know, it's easy to believe and there's always going to be openings in the NFL. So I think that, you know, we're going to see a, a regular, uh, a regular um, merry-go-round of, of these kind of things coming up in the future. Yeah, I, I agree with him. And I think my last thought really on it is uh, when Harbaugh first got to Michigan, he was very, very active in the media um, social media, Twitter, right? He, he had a very, he had a very prominent presence out in the, uh, in the media world. And then the pendulum swung way in the other direction. And he's been relatively removed from a lot of that. And, and, um, and, and I think that's intentional. Uh, it, it seems to me that the, the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I didn't think it was all that bad of a thing when, when Harbaugh was, uh, had a very dynamic uh, media presence. Um, so I, I would probably push that, you know, in that direction. I'd push the pendulum back in that direction, get him more active uh, in the media and uh, on social media um, to to be a little bit more strategic. And, and I think just that will, will help kind of preempt some of this other stuff. But um, in the grand scheme of things, I, I, I'm, I was – very, very surprised that they were able to bring Daxton Hill back into the fold. And that was the, uh, that's the biggest thing. Cause I, I think that kid could, uh, he's got a chance to contribute, uh, right away next year. So it's come out that Jim Delaney of the Big Ten is supportive of expanding the college football playoffs. Do you think they should be expanded? And, and if you do, how do you think they should be expanded, Clint? That's a, that's a really great question. Uh, I think there, there are lots of layers to it. Um, I, I, I think about it a lot and I, I'm probably 75% prepared to answer that question the best that I can, but, uh, you know, but here it goes. First of all, I, I do think that not only am I an advocate of expanding the playoff, I think it's, uh, inevitable, you know, just, it's going to happen just the same way that I think conference realignment is going to, continue to happen so um so there's that the the biggest angle that i think should be played up uh by the people that are advocates of of the playoff of expanding it to eight teams as as the next step is that if you expand it to eight teams 
and let's say you're utilizing, let's first make the assumption that the conference alignment stays the same as it is right now. All right, so hypothetically, we're going to expand the playoff to eight for, for next year with the same kind of power five um, and then the other, the, the group of five setup. If you do similar to the uh, basketball tournament and give automatic bids to the power five conference champions, so five of your eight spots are the championships. Well, what that does is basically makes your playoff there. That's 10 because that makes your conference championship games or, or determining your conference champion part of the playoff. So your season is never dead as long as you are still alive to get into your conference championship. So you actually tack uh, another round onto your playoff scenario, if if that makes sense. So the Big Ten championship game would actually be like a playoff round of 16 game because Northwestern would have been kind of de facto playing for a chance to get into the playoff in that scenario. So I, I think that the inclusion, the the, the driving of the interest um, – for the fan base then um, increases immediately because they're while most people are kind of turned off by the idea of somebody who's not deserving getting in. I think uh, just like we've seen in baseball with expanding the wild card and, and um, the push to expand the wild card, in the NFL playoffs, once those teams have a chance to get in and then um, in, in the NCAA basketball tournament, a 16 seed just beat a one seed. There, you're going to see that there are more of those uh, classic underdog tales are going to get written, and that's what really lives on in in kind of college football lore. So, I am an advocate of expanding it to to eight. I think um, it makes the conference championship games even more important if you were to give those automatic bids. I think uh, saving one of the remaining three spots for the highest ranked uh, group of five team is an idea that I've heard that, that I'm fine with. And then two at large um, where you've got somebody who maybe lost in a conference championship game or, or didn't get into the conference championship game based on scenario, you've got some flexibility there with two remaining spots and then using the same committee uh, process. Now you could set up seeds and really, really drive some interesting matchups um, by determining the seeds in a committee style. The other big portion of this conversation is about the existing bowls and, and, and then what happens. I think that conversation is going to kind of come to a head this season and going forward because you're seeing more and more uh, NFL draft bound players sitting out Um of these bowl games, it, it's clear that if you don't get into a playoff national championship uh, competitive situation at the end of the regular season, that some of the best players aren't going to be playing in these games. Um, I don't know whether the corporate sponsors particularly care or not. Um, and, and television and, and some of the other uh outside stakeholders that, that are going to have a big say in all of this, how uh, those players sitting out uh, affects them. But expanding the field drives more meaningful games, keeps more people engaged uh, for a longer time. 
And uh, like I said, not only uh, not only do I think that it's a good idea, I think it's inevitable. It's just a matter of how do you balance all of the other people that feel like they're losing something. Um, the last piece of it that I think is very important is just the number of games that uh, that you're playing in a, in a year. Uh, right now, obviously, uh, if you play the 12-game regular season, a conference championship is the 13th game. And then uh, eight-team playoff field would be three more to get to, you know, to the title. So that's a full 16-game season. That's, uh, you know, physically taxing. Um, that That's a conversation that should at least be uh, fleshed out. And and the, the last smallest piece that uh, I'm not sure how it will work out is where those games happen if you integrate them into the – lesser-known corporate-sponsored bowls that are in this medium uh, time that are going on, like the Potato Bowl was on television today. If some of those kind of pick up some of the early-round games, uh, I can't imagine that happening because I don't know that they're high-profile enough for the for the playoff atmosphere. Um, and then I've heard possibly giving a higher-seeded team um, a, a home game on the campus uh, – which I I would be a huge huge proponent of that just because it's such a disadvantage for the northern teams to constantly travel to the warmer climates to play these bowl games. I think it's totally different if you know the four seed and the five seed um, that matchup brings somebody like Georgia up to Columbus or to Ann Arbor to play in December. That's a that's a much different um, scenario than what we see normally with these um, power five crossovers. So all of those things uh, have to kind of get balanced out. But when uh, when it's all said and done, I think it's inevitable that it expands to at least eight. It's just a matter of figuring out how you uh, how you kind of stem the tears from the people that feel like they're losing out if uh, if it happens that way. Well, I like the idea of, of going to eight. And one of the things that really bugs me about the current setup is that I believe you need to have a system, whereas if you are a team in a Power 5 conference, at the beginning of the season, you know exactly what you need to do to make the playoffs. And if that means winning your conference championship, then so be it. Now, people will say, like this year, well, what if Ohio State had lost to Northwestern? At least they had a chance, okay? They knew exactly what they had to do, and they either did or didn't get it done. But, like, if you look at this season, if Michigan had one loss, they were going to make the college football playoffs. Ohio State had one loss, and they didn't make the college football playoffs, despite winning their conference. So, so for me, any expansion needs to address, um, again, you need to know what you need to do. You, you know, this whole working on your resume thing, and having a committee, that's fine for the uh, for the floating, you know, at at large slots. But I think the 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 Power Five conferences, you need to know what you need to do to get in. Um, I, I think it's just inherently unfair that that we're we're still, you know, for as much as people complained about the BCS, we we have the college football playoffs, but we're still dependent on a committee, uh, a committee that has all kinds of biases coming in. And and 
is open to politicking and, and all kinds of other things. Yeah, and, and one more thought is that, that the conversation about it being about the, the first team out, right, those bubble teams that didn't quite get in Georgia this year, uh, Ohio State uh, in the past, uh, TCU and Ohio State were four and five the year that Ohio State won the national title. It, it It's always going to be that way. When there was, when it was the BCS, it was the third wheel, the third team. That, that was crying about not getting in when now that there's four teams, the fifth team, if you expand to eight, guess what? The ninth team's going to complain. It's always going to be that way. Um, you saw the basketball tournament was expanded all the way to 64 teams, and then they still ended up pushing it to let the 65th and 66th team in. There's always going to be crying at the fringe. So wherever, wherever you draw the line, that's going to happen. You're not going to escape that. So uh, it, it's not a valid argument, in my opinion. Um, I did hear an argument that if you expand to eight, you're taking teams that aren't any good. Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, and, and I don't think it would be very long after this happens that an eight seed will beat a one seed. Um, that'll happen in the first in the first ten years of of, a, of an eighteen playoff, maybe in the first five years. Uh, it, Especially if, if you change the way it all depending on where the games are played and how they're played and how soon they're played after the conference title games, right? So there's, there's so much potential there by expanding the field that it would be good for the sport. I think my, my main concern would be making sure that we're not further exploiting, uh, the, the college players, um, and, and, and just to, to kind of turn it into, uh, turn it into a financial boom. I, I think it's more important that it's good for um, colleges, that it's good for uh, players and teams to, to kind of stay engaged in a, with a chance uh, to get a, to get a national title or get it to keep playing very highly competitive games. And it's good for the fans and, and the people on the campuses. So if, if you can make the right people happy and, and then, you know, without it being totally over, overtaken by the, the corporate and television uh, moneyed interest, then I, I think there are ways to really, really leverage it and make it a good thing. Another thing that I like about somehow incorporating campus sites into the mix is that as a season ticket holder, it would be really nice to be rewarded with a really big bonus important game at home. You know, we have these games where, um, you know, speaking as a Michigan season ticket holder, we've lost home games for some of these preseason classics and, and showcase games where they'll go down and play in, in Dallas or, or uh, you know, down south. So not only would it be awesome to see an SAC team come up north and, and play in the elements the way football was meant to be played, but... I think it would be a really nice uh, bonus to the home fans. And, and let's be honest that, you know, when you're talking about the home fans, it's not just the season ticket holders, but it's also the students. I mean, the advantage, the, the opportunity for your season, your student season ticket holders to see a huge important game at home would really help. I think solidify the tie to the team. You know, not everybody can travel to a bowl game. Um, not, especially if you're a student, I mean, there you have, Lots of, of reasons why, you know, financial and time and otherwise. So to uh, to include the college football playoffs 
to a, a, a round on campus, I think would would be really, really amazing. Really play into the pageantry of college football. You know, one of the things that I, I don't like about you know traveling to the bowl games or these kickoff classics or such is they're really generic um, venues. And not that it's not cool playing in an NFL stadium, but it doesn't have the character and the history and, and everything else that that goes with. I mean, Clint, I, I don't have to tell you. I mean, you've been to Notre Dame. Um, you've been to Penn State. You've been to Ohio State. Um, you know, I, I said it this year. You know, I, I've been to Ohio State for five, you know, five Michigan-Ohio State games. And every time I walk into that stadium, I'm awestruck. And it's just not the same feeling as walking into a Comera, uh, walking into a Ford Field. I almost said Comerica Park there. Walking into a Ford Field or or an NFL stadium. Um, honestly, you know, one of the changes I would like to see made for even the uh, conference championships is, you know, I, you know, I don't know why it always has to be Indianapolis. Okay, I think it would be awesome if somehow they could they could rotate that around to on campus sites. Uh, but again, I think there's a lot of things that are going to be looked at um, when it comes time to 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 expand the college football playoffs, and uh, a lot of interesting things on the table. Um, you know, one thing I hope it does is that if you get in, you know, if you are locked in to go to the college football playoffs, if you win your conference, I think it gives you some freedom to play some tougher games in the preseason in the non-conference schedule, because those games wouldn't necessarily hurt you for your, uh, as, you know, running towards your winning the conference. And actually, uh, I think that it would help you if you played a harder non-conference schedule, win or lose, if you played well, that would help you have a stronger resume for one of those at-large bids. Exactly right. You still would have the resume strengthening for the at-large bids in case you didn't win the conference title. And then, again, that, that hypothetical committee would be seeding the eight teams, one through eight, and you'd be playing. The, the whole idea that it does that it takes away the importance of every regular season game because you could lose and still get in. You know that that argument I don't think makes sense because it's just like the coming down the home stretch in the NFL where teams are jockeying for seeding position. Now once they're locked into a particular seed, you're right that they don't particularly care, but. In college, with this with this hypothetical situation where you still have to get seeded one through eight, you know Alabama still had to play their best game to beat Georgia in the in the SEC title game because hypothetically, if they had lost, they definitely are going to get probably one of those two at large bids. But are they going to get seeded in the top four and get a home game? You know, probably not. You know, they probably end up uh, in the bottom half and had to go on the road. So I, again, there are a lot of different ways to do it, but I think all there are, there is a right way and there are, there are options, but it's, it's about getting the right people uh, to that table to make the decisions for the best interest of the game and the fans, players and the coaches and, and, and not necessarily be driven by television and uh, corporate interests. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes.
Go Blue.